We are uh, back together this week for the Summer Together uh, podcast. We're enjoying uh, time together with Dr. Jack Levison. I'm Tommy Williams, and we're having conversations over the scripture lectionary texts for the summer, um, kicking off conversations about the book of Genesis. So this is the second week, Jack, we've uh, been in the in the scripture text together, and it's just one way we're connecting together here at St. Paul's uh, during a season when folks travel and go on vacation and all of that. Um, the Bible is a study we can gather around to stay connected and forming our faith. So it's good to, good to share this conversation again, Jack. Jack comes uh, from Dallas at Perkins School of Theology, and really glad to have his um, scholarship and uh, and good humor and in- insight and wisdom uh, with us. Last week we we stopped off in Genesis talking about um, the Genesis 18 uh, text uh, where Abraham welcomes three strangers in great hospitality. Um, um, and he and uh, Sarah uh, provide for them abundantly. And, and but those three messengers have a have they have a message for Abraham and Sarah, a message that's uh, hard for them to take and believe. Why don't you talk a little about what that message is? Well, the message is that uh, they will come back in due course. Uh, it's, this is repeated twice, I think, in Genesis 18. They will come back in due course, and Sarah will be pregnant. Or she's well beyond the time of the woman, however it put it. Right, they're both of old age. They're both old age, and there's no way she's going to have a baby. So it says, Sarah laughed to herself um, in disbelief. And then the interesting thing is, the three men outside hear it, right? right? And I don't have it in front of me right now. But they hear it, and they said, why is Sarah laughing? And Sarah denies it. She says, I'm not laughing. And they said, yes, you are. And that's where the story sort of ends. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Yes, is anything. And I looked up that Hebrew word, Uh, because I wasn't sure what it meant, and it's translated just as often, difficult. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Which, of course, there's a whole sermon in that, that the difficult and the wonderful go together. Um, But, yeah, she's been laughing. And and I got got to thinking about this, because I think Sarah gets a hard rap for laughing. I mean, at least, you know, growing up, it was sort of like, well, Sarah laughed when God made a promise. We shouldn't laugh at God's promises, blah, 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 you know. She's in the kitchen laughing at God's promises. But one chapter earlier, in Genesis 17, 17, God is talking to Abraham, and God says in Genesis 17, so we're just a chapter earlier, God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, You'll not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be your name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I'll bless her. She'll be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed. See that. And said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And then Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live in your sight because he has no faith at all that they will have a child. So Abraham had laughed a chapter earlier. 
He's, so if, yeah. Yeah. So he was. He'd laugh before she did, and she he'd just laugh sort of before she did. This, the uh, the the feeling they both have, the disbelief. Yep. They both think it's a joke. Yep. They don't think it's true. But the point is, both Abraham and Sarah laugh at this, as they should. I'm not sure it's that bad a thing to laugh at the outlandish promises of God, because those of us who've been beaten up a bit um, know that you can't just put stock into promises for promises' sake. Mm. That there, there's a lot of black and blue in life, and so you need to be sober when you think about the promises. I grew up with a thing called the Pocket Jesus Person Pocket Promise Book. It came out in the 1960s, and I carried it around, this little book, put it in my back pocket, went to high school with it. It was all the promises of the Bible, or maybe just Jesus. But they were all taken out of context. And, you know, here, again, we're in a world of peril here, where life is fragile in Genesis. And a promise like this seems too good to be true. They both laugh. Well, and even in, in Genesis 18, 15, after, after the promise is said again, Sarah shall have a son, Sarah denies it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. Right. She was afraid. So the wonderful, the difficult, the fear, all yeah. in there together yeah. at the greeting of a promise. And that's why I appreciate what the three men say, or he said, no, I caught you laughing. But that's it. There's no real censure. In fact, I looked that up too, and there's not real censure in the Hebrew. There's not, it's, it's not that much of a put down, just Sarah, you laughed. You laughed. And then they leave. It just hangs there. It's not that big a criticism. It may be even an inside joke. So their, their disbelief, their fear, whatever, however we are to understand that, keeps going as the story yes. goes over a couple of chapters yep. and uh, so Abraham and Sarah, Hagar's in the picture and then Ishmael who you've referenced already, um, Ishmael comes into the picture and one of our lectionary readings for the last Sunday in June June 25th has us in Genesis 21 Yeah, Genesis 21 yeah it picks up in verse 8 at least the part we will read in church uh, or that you all may study um away from church or in your own Bible study, Genesis 21, 8 through 21. Now, I want to start just a few verses earlier, sure. though, yep. because in verse 5, it says, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And notice the next verse. Now Sarah said, this is Genesis 21, 6. Now Sarah said, God has brought laughter for me. And that laughter comes full circle from Genesis 17 when Abraham laughed to Genesis 18 when Sarah laughed and now that laughter is a very positive thing God has brought laughter for me everyone who hears will laugh with me and she said who would ever have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children yet I have borne him a son in his old age. I mean, nobody but the Lord, right? Nobody, nobody but, but God. the Lord could have pulled this one off. What a joke. You know, and I love it that all of that kind of negative laughing, disbelieving laughing mm. becomes here everyone who hears this story. Every Christian, every Jew, every Muslim, anyone who hears this story should be laughing in the face of reality. 
we don't get a lot of chance to laugh in the face of reality. Yeah, that's true. And there are those moments where I think laughter is appropriate. And her own saying. laughter is transformed, isn't it? Yeah, she sees this yeah. as not the one maybe mixed up with all the fear or the disbelief, but here it is, the reality in front of her eyes, and she's able to laugh. Yep, and she does yeah. a good job of laughing and, and brings people into it, which makes the lectionary in Genesis 21.8 all the more tragic. Right. Because she could have stayed with her laughter. She could have lived inside this world of joy, right? Mm. But what does she do? Isaac grew, was weaned. Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. She could have stayed there. She could have been centered. She could have reflected on the promises of God, lived out the promises of God, laughed about the promises of God, laughed with her husband about the promises of God, laughed with everyone who heard about the promises of God. And when Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned, she could have had one big belly laugh. But what should she do instead in verse 9? But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian. And instead of staying centered in God, she started to compare. And it all falls apart. Yeah, the comparison. Yeah. Because she compares. I mean, look, I mean, I don't read a lot of poetry. <laughs> My friend, makes, uh, who's a real writer, uh, laughs at me. I know a couple of Yeats poems and a couple of Shakespeare sonnets. But in Sonnet 29 by Shakespeare, where he talks about, with my bootless cries, I want this person's looks and that person's friends. And he talks about jealousy in this powerful way. I wish I had it memorized. But what happens here is you go from the height of laughter, holy laughter, holy grace, God's phenomenal promise fulfilled, and she sees the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac. And she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son. That didn't need to happen. She did not need to feel jealousy. She became decentered. She compared this man's looks, that man's friends in Shakespeare's sonnet. And I think that this is where I'm going to preach to the microphone. This is where scripture is so powerful because it places stories right next to each other, which just grate as if there's no oil in the gears and they go and bring you to a halt and say, when in my life have I had it all for those fleeting moments where everything was fine and I noticed something wrong or someone had had more or something happened to make me say, this isn't quite what I want. I want this, and I want to get rid of that, or I want what they have. Yeah. And that's what this story does. The greatest laughter in the Bible, juxtaposed with yeah. Sarah's jealousy. Right. It's really, really poignant. Um, let's remind our listeners uh, what Hagar and Ishmael represent. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I think, I think folks will know that what, what, what Hagar, who was a servant slave, uh, represented was Abraham and Sarah's not believing in the promise of God to provide um, a child, a son. And so Abraham and Hagar come together. Ishmael is born. Ishmael becomes, is the son. Um, but they represent their lack of trust, their disobedience, their lack of belief in the promise of God to 
bring that son. Um, now they have Isaac, they have the son with Sarah, through Sarah, uh, but now you have them playing side by side, Ishmael and Isaac, this sort of constant reminder to Sarah of what of they didn't trust. Um, another, another woman. Definitely uh, another two woman. Two boys, my boy and hers, uh, all of those messy yeah. things. Yeah, and, and in fact, um, this text in 21 can't really be read without 16 because the first Hagar story is in chapter 16. Um, and that's the very powerful story of Abraham and Sarah. This is the one you're talking about, Tommy. Abraham and Sarah do not have a baby, and they're beginning to mistrust God's promise and believe that there is no baby to be had. So Sarah, Abram's wife, bore him no children, but he had an Egyptian maid named Hagar. And Sarah says to him, uh, take Hagar, and Abraham does, and has the baby. But Hagar begins to look down on Sarah. And I looked this word up. It is really the word despise. It's like despising God's commandment. Sarah began to, I mean, Hagar began to despise Sarah, who came to feel displaced by Hagar and Ishmael. Um, And so you pick up 21 at that point, where Hagar has had a history of not necessarily taunting Sarah, but looking down on Sarah. And now when Sarah sees the two together, she wants rid of them all together. Again, it would have been far better had Sarah remained in her laughter. I mean, we as Christians, it's very hard for us to remain centered in who we are in relation to God and one another. We tend to be driven by jealousies, petty and real. Um, a friend of mine talks about monkeys. There was monkeys, and they were always giving the monkeys uh, nuts. And these two monkeys were side by side. This was an actual experiment a, a friend was telling me about. Two monkeys side by side, and they gave them peanuts. And both monkeys were fine. They would reach their little hand out and take the peanut, reach the little hand out or paw out. What does a monkey have? A paw or a hand? <laughs> yeah, you're right. I don't know what they I don't have. Know. Whatever they are. We're right down the street yeah. from the Houston Zoo. We, can we could ask them. Figure it out. Yeah. But then one day they started giving one of the monkeys a grape. And the monkey that was getting the peanuts noticed and noticed. And finally, the monkey that was given the peanuts took the peanut and threw it back out at the person who gave them. As long as they were both getting peanuts, they were fine. But as soon as one of them got a grape, the peanut wasn't fine anymore. And I think what you have in this story is Sarah has the son of God's promise late in life. It's absolutely phenomenal phenomenal and miraculous, but you're right. She sees the two boys playing, her boy and Hagar's boy, And what is her solution? Get rid of Hagar. It's the worst of all solutions. But jealousy, reminder of unfaith, reminder of Abraham with Hagar, which was Sarah's decision in the first place. Yeah, how do you cultivate a sense of, I don't know, holy contentment, right? With the joy that you, and when you grab hold of that, how do you stay, like you said, centered? How do you stay there? uh, I wonder how it is that what what it is that um, 
the story works out for us here. There, um, it, it, it doesn't end with the text here in Genesis um, 21, but it does talk about what, what happens to Hagar and Ishmael and, and that they are sent away, at least for this time, and they are sent away uh, with provision, though, and there are certain promises made to them. They are going to have 12... Uh, Ishmael is going to be the head of 12 princesses, princes, just like Isaac is going to be the head of, or Jacob will be the head of 12 eventually. But, you know, yeah, right. they're going to have parallel kingdoms, which, of course, we come to see will, will be at odds with one another, but they will have their parallel kingdoms. So Ishmael is actually given promises as well. But you said they're, they're sent out with provisions, and I was looking at this today. So you get the sense that, so in the story... Sarah says to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac. The matter was very distressing. The the Hebrew is evil. The matter was very evil to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, don't be distressed, don't don't think it's evil because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to, to you, do as she tells you. For it is through Isaac that your offspring shall be named for you. That's an interesting phrase. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. That takes you back to 16. Because I think in chapter 16, God says something similar. When Sarah says, take Hagar and make a baby, God says, okay, go ahead. Whatever Sarah says, you can do. But you get the the sense of each time that God is deeply disappointed in what's happening yeah. here. Mm-hmm. You know, go ahead and do it. But then then you get this little glimpse of, of light. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He's going to do that in chapter 22 when it's time to sacrifice Isaac. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar putting it on her shoulder along with the child. You get this glimmer of grace. But then, you know what, Tommy? I looked at that and I thought, yeah, but I just read chapter 18. When the three men came to the tent, it wasn't just a piece of bread and a skin of water. He couldn't do enough for these three men. So it kind of puts in perspective what he gives Hagar. He gives Hagar enough, is it, to soothe a guilty conscience? I don't know. But even Abraham doesn't stand up for what's right here. He does enough to look good. I gave her. I got up early in the morning. I gave her water. I put it on her shoulder along with the bread, and I said, "Her and the baby off." Mm. That's not much. That's not provision. It's not provision, and and soon enough. Especially not according to Abraham's own values of abundance that we talked about last week. That's right. Exactly right. When you put this over against 18, where these men come to the tent, he can't do enough for them. But Hagar, he does just enough so that he looks like the good guy, but he's not being generous. Right. He's making provision to get rid of her. Right. So I, I used to empathize with Abraham, and then I read it in the light of what he did for the three men, and I think he could have done a whole lot more. Where's the camel or whatever? Right. Where's the whatever they rode on? Where is it? Well, even in the following verses here in chapter right. 21, um, uh, Hagar and the child has this little segment where they are trying to make it, but she, Hagar, despairs enough to where she's assuming she's watching her son die, and, and um, they're pretty barren, but she hears from God. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting what it says, too. I'm not sure exactly what to make of it. 
But in verse 17 of 21, and God heard the voice or the sound of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Don't be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. It's interesting that God does not hear Hagar. God hears the boy. The boy. The, and the voice is probably the wrong word. Sound is, it's probably just the word sound. Because already in 16, God had promised Hagar this. Um, the angel of the Lord said to her in chapter 16, I know it's hard with the podcast to follow. We're, we're moving back five chapters. Return to your mistress, submit to her. I will so greatly multiply your descendants that they cannot be remembered for the multitude they are. He's already made a promise to Hagar that she would have descendants like the sand of the sea, a parallel one to Abraham and Sarah. So what in the world is she doing? And the word is throw, throwing her baby under a bush. I mean, I looked it up. It's the word for casting out. She didn't place the baby there. She kind of threw it under the bush, and then she stood an arrow's distance away. And it's no wonder God doesn't listen to her. God had already given her a promise of multiple descendants. She's given up on that promise, too. Everybody's given up on the promises. Right. And, of course, we understand this. Promises are hard to hold on to when they're not fulfilled. In our time, right? Yeah, in, in our time, and when in the they're way we threatened. think it's going to be, right? Yeah, right. This is one of those threats, though. It's uh, one once, of those threats to God's again, promise. the promise is threatened, right? And right. Hagar doesn't live up to it. Right. She doesn't live up to it. She got a promise in chapter 16. She had a baby. She's given the baby, and instead of holding on to the promise, and believe me, I understand. I mean, this woman has no rights. She sent off a common slave, even though she's the mother of Abraham's child sent off as a common slave with no rights but she could have held on to the promise that may be a little harsh on my point you may want to pastorally say you're being a little hard on her but she could have held on we can hold on to promises yeah she's been she's been cast out right and she's been cast out with no rights um she too was given a promise uh, and of course, the uh, the the section really ends the, with the promise that God was with the boy. Mm-hmm. God was with the boy. To your point about God hearing the cries of this infant child, who maybe is the most vulnerable. If you were to pick the most vulnerable one in the entire narrative, right? right the Ishmael, the boy, the son of a slave, son of under a, slave, a bush, now cast out under a bush. You're right. But God was with the boy in verse 20 of chapter 21, and he grew up. So he was able to grow up. He lives in the wilderness, becomes an expert in hunting in that. Um, he lives there. Um, and then Hagar reappears. His mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Um, and thus is the story. Now, as we, uh, before we sign off here, you and I were talking off offline here about how um, Isaac and Ishmael appear again together as adults mm-hmm. um, to bury their father at the death of Abraham later on in, in Genesis. What would it have been like had the parents acted like adults? Both Hagar and Sarah. What if they'd acted like adults? What if they'd done the right thing? 
would Ishmael and Isaac have been enemies? Would their clans have been enemies? Or might they have lived in peace? Because they come back together and they bury their father. I mean, I, when you were talking about that, you know, the tragedy of Abraham's death, though after so many years, not such a tragedy, I suppose, and they come back together. What if their parents, what if Abraham had stood up and said, I'm not going to let this division happen, instead of getting up early in the morning and kicking her out with a, with a little bit of water and a little bit of bread? What if Sarah had been centered in God's laughter instead of keeping one eye on Hagar? And what if Hagar had held on to the promises? Is it possible that Ishmael and Isaac might have been the best of brothers? Yeah, and if they, yeah, if they had stayed centered in God's promises for all of them. Right? Centered, centered, yeah. centered. There's always something to see outside, and I'm talking to myself here. Sure, There's me too. There's always something else to see. But boy, how do we center ourselves? Yeah. Well, as we close once again, like we did last week, I can very well see a connection with Matthew's gospel that we won't have time to dive into this week, but it does come uh, from Matthew 10, and really it has to do, um, in large part, I think, uh, with um, the value that, that we have in God's sight, uh, that uh, not one will fall to the ground apart from God. Even the hairs of your head are counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. That's how the passage concludes. Um, so this trust and promise uh, that uh, of value in God's, um, in God's care, uh, and that if only we were able to trust in that, uh, in that promise. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. This has been great. Yeah, it's great.